welcome to The Coaching Question. This is a podcast for people who want to know more about coaching, how and when to use it, and really what's it all about. Thanks for listening as you join me, Gregor Finlay, and my colleague, Sarah Turner, two executive coaches, for an honest conversation. This week, Sarah, you were able to have an interview. You managed to secure the time of Sasha Scott and Jen Morris, who have founded and run Inclusive Group, which is, I never heard this term before, EDI, Equality, Diversity and Inclusion Consultancy. Really, really interesting conversation. What I thought might be useful for people is that this, the conversation was about why is coaching important for these areas? And that came through really, really strongly because it is about behavior change and it links up with a great training robbery podcast we did. You know, you could spend money on unconscious bias training, but it's not going to make the difference. You need coaching to get the actual behavior change. That comes through really strongly in the podcast. But I thought what was missing for me is somebody who knows very little about DNI was why should I be bothered investing in this sort of stuff in the first place? And I wonder maybe you might be able to give listeners a bit of that before we let the interview play. Yes, thanks for that, Gregor. I think that's a really interesting observation and, and, an, and an important one because I think probably most of us intuitively know that diversity matters. Um, but actually, when we're thinking about it in business terms, how do we make it a compelling argument? So there's all sorts of research and we can share some of this in the show notes. Um, but some of the, some of the, the research that I tend to reference is some, some work done by McKinsey in 2018. They found that companies in the top quartile for gender or racial and ethnic diversity are more likely to have financial return above their national industry medians. And then also some research by Boston Consulting Group, also in 2018, they were focusing on how increasing the diversity of leadership teams leads to better innovation and higher financial returns. So, you know, I think there's there's a, a research abounds that kind of points to having diversity of thought, um, which really is about having people in the room or in the company who have different backgrounds and experiences that they can bring to bear, that companies who have that will perform better. Yeah, I think diversity of thought is, you know, in the non-executive director training, the the one psychological area, so I sat in on some uh, non-executive director training to know what was going on there. And where they do focus in on is is groupthink. Mm. You know, and that is a real danger for boards and executive teams as group things. So, yeah, diversity of thought, but you get diversity of thought when you have diversity of gender, race, mm. sexuality, sexual orientation. I'm not sure the correct term, but you tell me. Yeah. I'm sure you will. I'm sure you will. I think, I think the other thing is what we're talking about here is we're talking about diversity of thought, which as Sasha outlines at the beginning of the podcast is about what makes me who I am. But actually, we also talk about inclusion. And one of the areas we're talking about is coaching for inclusion. Um, and organizations that have inclusive cultures um, have been found to be twice as likely to meet or exceed their financial targets, three times as likely to be high performing, six times as likely to be innovative and agile, and eight times as likely to achieve better business outcomes. Isn't that amazing? That's fantastic. Now, I haven't seen that data before, so I really want to get uh, get hold of that. So we definitely have to get that in the show notes. Yeah. We will do. Okay, so that's probably enough for now and let people listen to the interview and then we're going to come back at the end and talk a little bit more about it before we sign off. Yeah, great. Enjoy. 
Welcome to The Coaching Question. And today I'm so excited to have two wonderful guests joining me, Sasha and Jen from Inclusive Group. Sasha, would you like to just introduce yourself? Yeah, thanks. So it's lovely to be here, Sarah. And I'm the founder and CEO of Inclusive Group. We have been on the forefront of the promotion of equality, diversity and inclusion. And over the last 20 years, we've built a globally recognised consultancy delivering results that we think make the complicated more clear. So we work in partnership with our clients, providing solutions using a business-based, evidence-actionable approach. And we've recently been recognised by The Guardian as a top 10 global IND professional consultancy. Brilliant. Congratulations on that. Thank you. And Jen, would you like to just say a few words, just introduce yourself as well? Thank you. I'd love to. So I'm Jen Morris. I'm Managing Director of Inclusive Group. As Sasha said, we work with a range of clients supporting them with all of their EDI needs. My background is in talent development and diversity and inclusion. and I'm also a qualified coach. So this conversation this morning is the meeting of everything that I love. So (laughs) great to be here. Brilliant. Well, thank you so much for joining me. And today we were going to explore the question around how does coaching support diversity and inclusion in organisations? And I guess before we really dive into that, it's probably quite useful for us to pause and just get clear on what we mean when we use these words, diversity, inclusion and belonging, because they are used interchangeably. Um, Sasha, I know I've heard you describe these beautifully in the past. So would you mind just sharing your perspective on those words and what they mean? Yeah, sure. Well, actually, I think they're deeply personal words, aren't they? So diversity is, for me, about being a human being. And uh, diversity is about the unique facets that make us who we are as humans. It's very easy to think about diversity as in marginalised groups in terms of race and gender. And of course, that's a a fact of diversity. But diversity, I think, is more nuanced and intersectional that. It's about being a human being. So every single person on the planet is diverse in some way, shape or form. And I think inclusion is an appreciation of that. And it's something we feel rather than something that we can measure necessarily. And inclusion for me is a verb. It's a doing word. It's um, how we behave around each other in a genuine, authentic way. And belonging is sort of not lost on me that synonyms for belonging are, again, about a feeling of connection. And belonging is easier Mm. to define when we think, what does it feel like when I didn't belong? And again, that's a universal truth. So that's that's how I would how I would go around defining diversity, inclusion, and belonging. Great, thank you. And that that kind of makes me think a little bit about the different kinds of coaching that we could see in the diversity and inclusion field. And when we were talking about this in preparation for today, we we kind of came up with two key areas. And I think it's fair to say this is quite a new area in diversity inclusion, the idea of coaching to support the DNI journey. And the two areas that we picked up on was first of all coaching for inclusion. And then there's coaching for diversity. So where that we have particular underrepresented groups in organizations, how can we coach them to support them in their career development within that organization? And if we think about the world that we're in, you know, we talk about this being a, a VUCA world. We, you know, we've got Black Lives Matter still very present with the death of George Floyd last year. We've got the Me Too movement. So there's a whole kind of changing environment that's constantly changing and very unpredictable that we find ourselves in. And so when we're thinking about behaviour change and thinking about inclusion, there's a lot of, I think there's quite a lot of sensitivities that's kind of out there, that's intangible, but does have an impact on how people are feeling. I don't know, what do you think about that? 
So I think what we observe in the clients that we work with is that they are navigating through exceptionally difficult times. They're obviously trying to run organisations and businesses and lead through those in a positive way in exactly the same way they have been doing for, for many years. However, I think exactly as you're describing the external landscape that they are also having to navigate and support their employees through is vastly more complex than they've experienced before. And I think for a lot of people in leadership roles, DNI has actually become part of their day-to-day work, part of their day-to-day job and agenda. And it's not necessarily something that they've been prepared for up until this point. So they're at a point where they need to role model and lead through this, but actually might not have the information, the knowledge, or even the kind of personal lived experience that helps them navigate it. And I think that's where our coaching support can come in. Absolutely. And the phrase that comes to my mind, which I know I've heard you say before as well, is we're all in the same storm, but we're not in the same boat. And particularly if we think about COVID, which we're still in, unbelievably, now as we're recording this podcast, I think that becomes even more powerful. So one of the things that I think is quite interesting is, you know, we see and hear lots of organisations talking about diversity and inclusion, but actually few are actually making meaningful progress. What is it that you think gets in the way? Well, where to start, Sarah? Um, There are so many things that can be obstacles towards broader representation. One of them, I think, is a lack of clarity about actually what do we want to achieve. So what we've seen as a business since Black Lives Matter hit is a sort of a huge uptick in organizations approaching us to say, where do we start? And it relates to your question, because unless you have clarity about where to start, you're going to hit obstacle after obstacle. And before you can answer, where do we start? We would always say, to our clients, where do you want to go? What does your five-year forecast look like? What what elements of diversity are you focusing on? So obstacles are a lack of clarity, a lack mm-hmm. of strategy. Further obstacles are often senior stakeholder buy-in or not. And I think if you pick unpick that, what you've really got often is a, a lack of understanding across a business about what this means and why it's important. To quote Simon Sinek, find your why. And I wonder if many organisations have not found their why about why doing this. Is it actually reactive to Black Lives Matter? Is it performative or actually is it we want to be better representations of society? And then, I mean, Jen and I could list a hundred reasons why why organisations are not making meaningful progress. But one of the fundamental ones to me, and I'd be very interested in, in Jen's response on this, is mindset. It starts with a mindset. And if people's mindset at the top of a business is, this threatens me, I'm actually going to make myself redundant if I encourage more diversity because I'm a straight white man. You've got this um, massive tension, although no one will articulate it because it's not politically correct. But, you know, why would I do this? Because actually Mm -hmm. I'm doing myself out of a job. And I think we have to strip it back to really pure sort of psychology around my needs and what's what's important to me. So mindsets can be a massive barrier mm-hmm. to why would we do more. But I'd be fascinated by Jen's take on what perceptions are around why there is not more meaningful change. Yeah, I, I would really agree with those observations, Sasha. And I think that the growth mindset is, is absolutely key at leadership level, but also kind of within the culture more broadly. And I think this is where the combination of um, education and information that we can 
in part of, and sort of discuss with people through training and workshops is then actually encouraged and embedded through coaching with with key individuals, people in key roles, and people who particularly might be struggling actually with moving their mindset. And I think there is a real vulnerability at a certain level of you know where people operate in an organization where they're expected to have all the answers and expected to know the way forward and actually might be having their own challenges with that and the combination of sort of education and and then coaching creates this sort of safe space for people to really open up about that and to say those unpalatable things Sasha which they they couldn't say in front of colleagues Mm. Yeah, I, I think that's so true. And I, that's why I believe that, that coaching is so incredibly important because we have to establish a safety and a psychological safety. And how can a leader establish psychological safety in their own team unless they have it on their own with a coach in order to discuss what they're truly feeling and what what language they can use to overcome this. So I, I absolutely believe that the stumbling block starts with an individual mindset. So coaching could well be a real key to unlocking inclusion. Mm. There's so much there that you've both said that I want to pick up on. I mean, the, the piece that when you were talking about mindset, if we think about mindset and what makes me who I am and what makes me behave in the way that I do, all of that is shaped by our history, our experience growing up, our experience of life and the messages, conscious and unconscious, we've picked up about what I need to do in order to be me, to be safe, to be accepted, to fit in and to belong. And so much of that is deep rooted and unconscious that we don't actually realize the impact that these these messages that we've picked up have on who we are and how we behave and how other people experience us. And to your point about those at the top of the organization, for them to find themselves in a situation which is quite unusual for them, I'd imagine, where actually maybe they don't have the answers. They don't know how to make this okay, how to, to change their behavior. And it's that that not knowing that makes them feel feel vulnerable. And as you say, Sasha, I think quite often almost switch off and say, well, I'm, I'm not going to do it then because it's too difficult. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and yet, you know, with all the negativity and all, all the awful things that have happened through 2020, COVID and the pandemic, there are some glimmers of light around workplace culture that I think we could take and run with. And one of those is we've seen more evidence of leadership vulnerability because suddenly we're managing people through a two-inch screen on Zoom and we can see, you know, the chaos that is behind us, the, you know, the animals, the dogs fighting, the someone's partner wandering through half-dressed, you know, the, 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 the child that makes a cameo appearance asking for carrots. And actually what this has done is, is humanised workplaces. And so the leader no longer mm. sits in that glass, opaque glass office, but actually good leadership has demonstrated, I'll wear my heart on my sleeve and I can talk about my COVID pandemic experiences. So, you know, there are glimmers of hope. Mm. And I think possibly some leaders have got better at being authentic and being vulnerable. Mm, Absolutely. And what you were saying there around kind of behavioural change as well. So what I've noticed when I've done work like this with organisations is because it feels big, because it feels scary, because it's unknown, leaders can tend to feel like they need to do these big grand gestures. And actually what I have found has really shifted things for them is when, when we've explained or when I've explained, it's not about the big grand gestures, it's moment to moment. So using your language about inclusion being a verb, it's a doing word, it's something choiceful. I can choose to just start my meeting slightly differently. 
I can choose to have a one-to-one in a slightly different way. And it's those small moments that build up. And over time, gradually, I've become more comfortable and feel more able to behave in an an inclusive way. What what do you think about that? I would really agree with that in terms of actually what, as you say, kind of turns the dial overall. I think there is a a pressure, a requirement, an expectation on leaders to, to make bold statements, brave Mm. statements internally and externally about their commitment to this. But I think actually what changes things over time, exactly as you're saying, is the choices, the small choices that we make all the time about how we show up, how we contribute, how we enable other people to contribute. And it's helpful sometimes to position this with, with people in leadership or management positions that actually isn't this additional big thing you need to do. It's actually just being a good leader it's actually just being a good manager they're not different behaviors I haven't given you a whole new to-do list actually you can just incorporate those things exactly as you're saying Sarah into how I conduct a meeting from here on in yeah so they are they're they're these small incremental shifts but somehow they don't feel like that they're big and razzle dazzle enough yeah. And and I think the thing also um, that that's making me think about, and Sasha, when you were talking particularly about Black Lives Matter, what I noticed, and even in myself, was a nervousness around getting it wrong. Yeah. yeah. So I might say the wrong thing or use the wrong words. Yes. And I honestly, I'm, in, I'm really, really passionate about inclusive language because mm-hmm. therein lies the stumbling block. I think most human beings on the planet want to we want to do the right thing. We want to be good. We want to care for our fellow brothers and sisters. We want to be supportive. I, I really believe that humanity essentially is generally pretty good. But people don't feel like white people in relation to BLM, don't feel that they have the language that really is supportive and can be an you know, allied language, inclusive language. Mm-hmm. And, and Jen and I can plot this. So we look at the inquiry that comes in and it's increasingly, we need information about inclusive language. And if the, the, the challenge mm-hmm. there is that's always changing and it, you cut it generationally. And I had a client last week that rang us and said, help, help. We've got 60 year olds and 20 year olds working together. What do we do? And I thought, well, therein lies the rub because um, people uh, see the world differently and use different words. And at the moment, we do need coaching and we need reverse mentoring aligned to the coaching because what we're seeing is workplaces are more polarized between different generations. And that's creating Mm. fractions and divisions around words, around cancel culture, around woke all sorts of things. And going back to the race and the Black Lives Matter, and now we're seeing it with Asian hate crime. You know, what words can I use Mm. that are okay? Do I talk about people of colour? Do I talk about the BAME community? Do I talk about um, someone who is gender neutral? Or uh, what are the pronouns? And what if I mix the pronouns up? And and I would say, just cut this Mm. and ask the person, how do you want to be referred to? Please help me. So I can then try and get it right, assume a positive intent. Mm. Because, the, the, you know, it's a bit mm. like the LGBT alphabet soup. That's confusing. And as a gay woman, I find it hard to navigate because it's changing and iterating the whole time. So if you just actually ask somebody, mm. how do you like to be referred to? Or this is why pronouns are really important. And even on Zoom, you know, you put your pronouns up. Immediately we know. We know. And actually that's a little memory yeah. for me. I'm talking to someone who self-IDs as they, them. Oh, it's there on the screen. How easy is that? That's a gift for me. 
you know, and actually how difficult it yeah. has been for that person to have the courage to put their pronouns up in a Zoom meeting with their, all their colleagues, where on yeah. Friday they were identifying as female, and then on Monday they're gender neutral, non-binary. It's mm. really tough. But mm. um, I think communication is key, education is key, but don't think education is going to give you a toolbox that says you do all these things, it's just fine. And that's where I think the coaching comes in, to give people the confidence to say, look, I don't know, and I want to get this right. Yeah. Mm. No, I love that. And I think what feels right, and, and tell me what you think about this, but there's definitely a need for being able to equip people you know upskill them help them understand you know so whether we're starting right at the beginning around what do we mean by diversity inclusion or whether we're moving through to things like inclusive language and kind of why it matters but actually you know so so training and we've done another podcast on the kind of where training and coaching differ training can be great when you're imparting knowledge or skills Mm. and but coaching is key when we're talking about behavior change yeah So I really think there are two levels of learning here that you're describing. And there's this level that's around education and information and people actually kind of getting some of the concepts and the language as you're describing, potentially having some things demystified, like if I'm biased, I'm a bad person. So kind of unpicking some of that, you know, re-educating some of that. So there's this level of education. And then there's a different level of learning, which is so what? How does this relate to me? How do I need to do things differently? How difficult is that going to be for me? And how am I going to adjust? And then the learning becomes very personal. And for some people who are interested, have a, you know, this this kind of open mindset to change that we've been describing, this growth mindset, that adjustment might be easier, might be more accessible to them. And some people are going to need more support. And when those people are Mm. in critical roles, that's when it becomes really critical to give them that support. So actually, I think we need to go granular on who needs the coaching um, Mm. at a very senior level. I think our default is often, well, that's got to be the SLT, Exco, etc. And absolutely, yes, as role models, those people often do need coaching and are most fearful to ask for help around inclusion and diversity. And we call that becoming I and D fluent. But Mm. let's not forget the actual diversity and inclusion professionals that are increasingly being elevated to a board level or just below that. Those people absolutely need more help and support in managing not only the complexities of an ever-changing, volatile diversity and inclusion landscape, but also the the burden of helping coach because they are doing coaching of the senior leadership team, but also they are dealing with the heads Mm -hmm. of the networks and employee base. So for example, Black Lives Matter, but what about them? So the resource for coaching that cohort is is really critical because I, I, I could describe that as a double trauma. So not only are people seeing Asian hate, but it's also if I'm Asian, I'm going to be dealing with my own anxieties of what happens when I leave the office and what about my parents? Will they be attacked in the street? So who's looking after me? And again, mm. that's an area that um, mm. you know, we, we focus on. Goodness me, there's so much to talk about. And and I just wanted to pick up on a couple of other things just very quickly. So Sasha, you mentioned reverse mentoring before, and I've seen this be quite impactful in terms of helping leaders just hear and experience a different perspective. So I don't know how many organizations you know who are implementing those programs. Is that still quite a new thing or has that been more is that more widely accepted now? I, I think that the concept has been around for a long time, but okay. we're seeing much more uptake 
in mm. relation to different intersections of diversity. And, mm. and what I think that it's probably a consequence of is the volatility last year around inclusion and diversity caused by the pandemic and caused by Black Lives Matter led to much better listening within organisations. But listening mm. is different from action. So 2021 through to 2023, in our mind, um, at Inclusive Group is, is really going to be about a time of accountability. And so we're seeing mm. more of us mentoring leading to action. So listening is key, but actually what got, what got done. It's a bit like Jen's point, but and so what? Yeah. So oh, it's yeah. definitely something that there's going to be a lot more of. And what that makes me think about from a coaching perspective is, you know, for co when coaching is really powerful and transformative is when you get that, so what? It's the action I'm going to take as a result of this coaching conversation, because otherwise it's just a cosy chat with a friend in the pub talking about all these things, but actually I'm not really going to change my behavior as a result. And I absolutely agree with everything that you're saying there. And I love the idea of, you know, your focus for the next few years is on what we're going to do about this. And so, Jen, I know that you're qualified in a number of psychometric tools. and I know I, I use a few as well. I'd love to just know um, or hear from you what role, if any, you think they play if we're thinking about coaching and behavioural change. Thank you. Yeah, so I think they're so critical because what they help the individual do is understand how this is about them. So kind of going back to my so what point, it actually makes them real for them as a human being. And particularly if they have, they've had a profile previously like MBTI or Hogan, so something that they know about themselves, some language that's already accessible to them about personality, about how they look when they're under pressure or under stress and how that impacts them. Actually then talking through the lens of inclusion about that can make it more accessible to them. Mm -hmm. And I think if you look at something like Hogan, mm -hmm. Hogan's derailers and that kind of tipping point between actually what kind of strengths look like when they're overplayed can have real resonance for actually here's how I can unintentionally exclude people or crash on with a decision without bringing people with me. And it helps people think, well, this, mm. how then do I need to tweak my behaviours? And Sasha uses a tool mm. called Implicitly, which looks at individual bias. And perhaps you'd like to talk a bit about that, Sasha. Yes. So this is a, a tool that is very, very popular with our clients because we go more granular. So after doing a workshop which covers inclusion and unconscious bias, we can then take people by the hand, metaphorically, obviously, don't want to be accused of any harassment. And through a series of tests, come up with a blueprint of where their preferences lie in relation to various criteria. And it's very much a coaching situation because as we've discussed in the podcast, this is a highly emotive area. And mm. um, most humans on the planet have a bias, which is I'm not biased. Uh, and so once we uh, start to actually unpick where our preferences lie, to have a coach right next to you, to be able to listen and understand and, and maybe sort of help signpost the why behind it is enormously helpful. Because you know, as we know, unconscious bias has had a very bad press recently. You know, Trump outlawed it. British government have moved away from it. But we stand by inclusive group, the fact that we absolutely believe there is a place for a higher awareness around bias. 
as part of an overall mm. sort of different tools to overcome exclusion in the workplace. But if you have a coaching tool that helps people deeply understand the why behind it, when you own it, you can do something about it. If you don't own it, it's a total waste of everybody's time. And using implicitly is a very smart mm. way of being able to own and understand. But again, handle with caution, which is why being qualified and accredited to, to have those conversations is, is business critical. And what I like about what you're saying there is that that point about if I if I can own it, then I can do something about it. And there's something about a psychometric that gives you something tangible to hold on to. Absolutely. So, right, I know Absolutely. that's something that I tend to do. Okay, I know what the impact of that is. I can now consciously choose yeah. to do something about a bit different. So mm-hmm. that kind of equips leaders, or and not just leaders, whoever's taking part, gives them something to work with. Great. Well, we could just talk for hours, but I know we need to wrap things up. So thank you so much for being with me today. Um, as you probably know, we always wrap up our podcast with um, just one or two kind of top tips for our listeners. So any top tips that you might like to share just on this topic as we bring this to a close? I think for me, the focus needs to be on leaders creating psychologically safe spaces because within those spaces in organisations, then people can explore, learn, do great work, be their authentic selves, mess our stuff up, use the wrong language and ask for apology, you know, give an apology. It's, it's that psychological safety that actually brings all of those things to life. Mm. Wonderful. Thank you. And Sasha? I completely agree. Um, the psychological safety is that secret sauce that you need to bake into that cake in order to create an inclusive work environment. And what I would say is two things for people to think about, because you can put this into place the moment you get off this podcast. And one is listen to understand rather than listen to respond. Mm. Really important. Listen to understand. I think most of us think we're really good at listening, but actually the reality is we're less good than we think, particularly the more senior Mm. we become. And then the other one (laughs) is I fundamentally believe that inclusion starts with an authentic hello. Hello and a smile. It's a great way to start interactions with other people, assuming a positive intent, but mean it. Above all, you know, I really believe that 2021 is about authenticity and accountability. But this is why coaching plays a huge part in driving and embedding inclusion in organisations. Brilliant. Thank you both so much. Pleasure. Thanks Thanks a lot. It's been great. What a fascinating conversation, Sarah. Thank you for getting those guests. Oh, it was great. They're, they're fabulous, actually, Sasha and Jen. They're so passionate about what they do and so knowledgeable. So I'm really pleased that they were able to give us that time. Yeah, they really, really did know what they were they were talking about. And, and clearly they're steeped in it. One of the things that really came through for me was this coaching for inclusion and coaching for diversity. So what I noticed was the coaching for inclusion was like the coaching we do anyway, you know, in terms of coaching for psychological safety, et cetera, it was an extension mm. of what we do as coaches. And some added knowledge in that area is going to help you be even better in that area. But the coaching for diversity seemed to be something that was really specialised. Mm, absolutely. I think Jen sums this up in the podcast when she says, you know, really coaching for inclusion is just about being a really good leader. So as you say, it's a lot of the work that we would do anyway as coaches um, with a few maybe extra specialised elements in there. But the coaching for diversity, I think there's a couple of ways of thinking about this because 
it's probably going to have an element of mentoring in it as well. And a lot of it will be about role models. So if I'm a black female, if I have a black female role model who can then coach me on how to be successful, the sorts of things that I need to be thinking about in order to get the kind of career development that I want, that's going to be far more meaningful to me because I'm sitting opposite somebody who I feel shares some of the same um, experience and background that I have. Um, and that's going to be a lot more meaningful. Um, so that's that's what that kind of coaching for diversity really really brings. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly that's exactly what, what I was saying. So I was interested in you know you work in the DNI area, you work in HR. So the question for me was, and for our listeners, was if I want to recruit a coach to work in this area. What should I be looking for? It's interesting because I do think that a lot of this is about being a great leader. And I think most coaches have a good grasp of all of that and the sorts of things you were talking there about psychological safety. I think there probably are some elements and it would depend on what you're trying to achieve with the coaching. But in my experience, many organisations will have a diversity and inclusion strategy. They'll have an action plan. They'll have training programmes and all that stuff is great. But a bit like we said in the Great Training Robbery podcast, training alone will rarely change behaviour. And so if you're looking to change behaviour across an organisation, if you're trying to drive cultural behavioural change, that starts at the top with role modelling. And so for the executive team, the leadership team to have coaching to support any training they might have done, that's far more likely to move the dial than a training programme alone. And And so I think that bringing in a coach who has some experience and some knowledge around diversity and inclusion it, they they bring that greater context which i think would enhance the outcomes that are trying to be achieved through the coaching thank you for that so thank you for taking the time to listen to our show we really do appreciate any feedback and would love to hear any questions you might have so feel free to email us at info at thecoachingquestion.com we will put some details in the show notes from the episode today particularly the research that we referenced right at the start and please do give us a rating on itunes um, because it really does help us spread the word to a wider audience and thanks again for listening to us today and we look forward to speaking to you next time.